Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deannon, she, they pronouns, a community engagement manager at Modern Classroom, and I am joined by our other co-host, Zach. Welcome, Zach. Hey, Tony Rose. It's so great to be back with you. I haven't been on the podcast in so long. So long. It seems like it's been forever since we were in the same space recording. So this is really such a pleasure. So um, time is going by so quickly, right? And so before we get started, how are you feeling today? I am feeling great. I actually really am excited to be back on the podcast, like on the mic. You know, I edit these every week. I'm like, I'm here. I'm definitely part of the podcast. But it's fun to get to talk about Modern Classrooms on the podcast again. I'm really excited. And um, the school year is off to a pretty good start. So far, I don't want to jinx anything, but yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Ooh, that's really good to hear, Zach. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. Um, and I know our listeners are definitely excited to hear your voice because my voice has been playing over and over and over again. So <laughs> here we go. Um, how's your school year going so far? You kind of said it's going really well. So tell us more. How, like, what are some new things that you're trying out? Some challenges that you had so far? It could be modern classroom or not, really. Yeah, I mean. I have the data in my progress trackers because of modern classrooms, right? I have the data to tell you that it's going better. Like, all of my students are on pace. Kids aren't on their phones all day. I don't know how to describe it. I'm not doing anything differently from last year. It's just like, it's just a a better feeling this year for me. And I I, I don't want to jinx anything. Like I said, uh, I don't know why. I I honestly don't know why. Um, When I, I, I was having a conversation with my coach at school, like I think back on last year and I just, it just my memory of last year feels so like exhausted and worn down. And like, I I would get to the end of every day and just like dragging my feet to, to get to the end of the day. And this year it is the beginning of the year. And the beginning of the year is always kind of an exciting time. Um, But my students are, are almost all on pace. My youngest students, my sixth graders, they're coming in, you know, they had sort of a, quote unquote normal fifth grade in the building and so their their transition into middle school is the first time we've had that at at my school transitioning from you know elementary into middle the first time we've had that since before the pandemic and it's great to have that grade sort of have a normal experience they're doing great in my class um and just in general you know my my classes are calmer i don't know how to describe it it just feels like it's going better i hope that that's everyone's experience but it is mine I love to hear that. So Zach, for our new listeners, can you just tell everyone what you teach, how many students you have, just a little bit about your school as well? Yeah, sure. So I teach middle school music in Spanish. That's I teach a music class, but it's music in Spanish at an immersion school, um, DC International School, which is a charter in Washington, DC. I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. And the the seven and eight classes are mixed together. So I know a lot of those students that had my classes before. And of course, the sixth graders, DCI is a middle and high school. So the sixth graders are all new to the school. They're all brand new to my class. I teach, you know, on average between, I would say, 17 and 25, 22 students per class this year. Um, Yeah, it's a a digital music class. We don't really have instruments um, the way that I teach. So they make music on their Chromebooks. And that's my class. 
And I just love this because you and I started implementing Modern Classroom the same year. So, and I did middle school ELA at the same school. Um, And it was just so much fun, but also so different. Like how you did it and how I did it. It was just so different, but also same outcome, same kind of feedback from students about like how much they enjoy it. There's just a lot more accountability and ownership with learning. And so it's really cool that like Zach's content is like music in Spanish. So uh, it's pretty cool how you can implement something like this and just such a cool subject. Yeah. And, you know, that year that you and I implemented together at DCI, those kids that were sixth graders, they were your students. They're ninth graders now. Oh, <laughs> they're big. My goodness. My babies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I miss them so much. Um, okay. Well, that's great. Thank you for just kind of sharing your experience so far this year with Modern Classroom. And I know, you know, you and I co-host. And so we always get information about other teachers, but then it's rare that like you get to really talk about your experience. Um, and so this is kind of cool. Just kind of a reminder to our listeners that Zach is a full-time teacher, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I appreciate that because when I do host, I'm the one asking the other teachers the questions. And so I, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit about that. And and I hope, I really do genuinely hope that my experience is, is sort of indicative of how this year is going for most teachers because I feel pretty positive. When there's kids in my classroom, you know, I feel very happy. Um, and I get home and I'm not like totally just exhausted. I don't know. So it is September. We'll have to see how the year goes. But I, I really do hope that this is a is a is an easier year than last year and that other teachers besides me are feeling the same way. And how many years has it been now since you started implementing the model, Zach? Well you and I did the training in twenty nineteen. So this is my fourth year. Oh my gosh. And really that's like we've known each other for that for that long as well, which is wild. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's switch to updates from modern classrooms. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, this is all you. You have the updates. <laughs> yeah, we have some really cool things coming up. Um, October 1st is when our DMCE applications will open. So that's Distinguished Modern Classroom Educators. And so uh, it's an application where you just kind of tell us w- how you're implementing the model, either, you know, with blended learning, self-paced, as well as mastery-based learning. And so that's going to open up again. We revamped the application. So it's a lot more interesting, I would say. Um, and there's just been a lot of feedback that we've been getting. And so we've you know, implemented the feedback. We've made it 10 times better. And so definitely check that out on October 1st. We had a webinar about DMCEs as well last week, I believe. And so we'll link that the on-demand uh, recording as well in our show notes. And also, you know, once you become DMCE, we have monthly meetups that happen. Uh, and so you get to spend a lot more time with me, which is always exciting, in my opinion. Um, so October 1st is when DMC applications will open up. October 17th is the start of our first school year virtual mentorship program cohort. So that's really exciting. Yeah, uh, we're going to have about uh, we have about 250 educators signed up so far. And so kind of keep a heads up on that. We do have some some scholarships for a specific region. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. But October 17th is our first cohort for the virtual mentorship program for this school year. Um, 
I will be going into school site visits uh, the next two months. So I'm going to the Twin Cities, Tulsa, Louisville, and Chicago. And so I will be popping into teachers' classrooms and celebrating everything that they're doing as well as hopefully planning a fun little um, outing afterwards. And so just to kind of catch up and celebrate all of our successes, answer questions, share concerns, and also just share ideas and resources. So that's coming up the next two months as well. And then of course, webinars. Um, We have one. If you use Screencastify, this will be a really cool webinar for you to join in. And so that'll be on October 12th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. It's just a 30-minute webinar with one of our, uh, with our partner Screencastify. So one of their team members will be joining us to answer any questions, to talk about any updates, and we'll have some surprises for you as well. So definitely join in. And so I've been hosting a lot of the webinars lately, and it's been so much fun just kind of having conversations with all types of educators. Um, We have an implementer meetup. I don't know if you all are aware, but we do have a monthly meetup for any implementer. You could have gone through the free course if you're part of the Facebook group, um, if you have gone through VMP or VSI. We have our implementer virtual meetup at 7 p.m. on Eastern time on October 12th. And it's really the second Wednesday of each month is when we have our meetup. And that's also for 30 minutes. But it's really cool to just connect with the community. And so there are educators all over the country and sometimes internationally that will pop up just to say hello, share their experiences. Because, again, we don't want you to feel alone when you're implementing such a huge Um, instructional model that just shakes things up, right? And so, and especially for our educators who are there, um, like the only person implementing the model in their school district or their county, this is a really great space for you to come in and, and create community with other educators who may be in the same situation as you. Yeah, that's actually really cool. I didn't know about that. Um, like the Facebook group is really, really big. You know, not all those people went through even the free course. And that's really cool that it's open to everybody. Well, we did start out with just a Facebook group. And then we were like, wait a minute, why are we excluding people? (laughs) Um, And so as you all know, we have about 12,000 members in our Facebook group. And so we opened it up at first just for a Facebook group. But then we were like, you know what? Not everyone has a Facebook. And so we didn't want to have that barrier for anyone. And so we just said, you know what, this we're just going to call it as an implementer virtual meetup. And anyone who has um, implemented the model or is toying with it or has any questions can just kind of pop in. We do breakout rooms. Our Facebook moderators and slash expert mentors, Monty, Sarah, and Tavia are there. And so we have breakout rooms of where like if you want to talk about life, that's a breakout room. If you want to talk about if you are just a new implementer of Modern Classroom, that's another breakout room. And then like experienced Modern Classroom implementers. And so it's a really great way to differentiate the conversations that are happening. And of course, you have those three expert mentors who can kind of guide you and ask questions and also share all the resources that you would like. And so it's just kind of it's a really great way to get to know other educators all over again, all over the world. Um, and just it's just such a beautiful thing and it's virtual right now i don't know if we could would ever make it um, in person that would be so cool but for right now it's virtual it's zoom um so hopefully that won't stop anyone from being able to join us i mean virtual is cool too like in person would be awesome but virtual makes it much more accessible and you can meet up with 
educators everywhere, you know? Uh, yeah. And I mean, and you can do it on your couch. That is true. why I also love it. True. <laughs> <laughs> also true. I don't like to leave my house. So virtual meetup <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So listeners, I'm going to put all of this information into the show notes. That was a lot of dates and different things and there'll be links. All the dates will be in the show notes. So if you want, if you're interested in anything that you just heard, just make sure to check in the show notes and you'll be able to see uh, all the details for each of those things. Yeah. And just like one more thing as well. So the monthly meetup happens on the second Wednesday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We also have a Twitter chat that happens on the first Wednesday of each month. So that's um, the the Twitter chat that's upcoming is on October 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And again, this is just 30 minutes. It's five questions. So if you're on Twitter, we would love for you to join us to to join the conversation, share your resources, say hello, um, answer one question, answer all five of them, whichever one, we would just love to see you in our space. And so it's always the first Wednesday of the month as well for our Twitter chats. Yep. And the Modern Classrooms Twitter is also in the show notes. So there you go. Thanks, Zach. Um, and then the last exciting, cool thing. Now I'm just realizing I say cool a lot, which is fine. Um, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Learner Daily Check-In Tracker that one, our co-founder Rob created recently. And I am so, so, so excited about this resource and actually shared it out with Zach maybe, what, five minutes before we started recording? <laughs> yes, I just got to see it for the first time. <laughs> And I, I told him, I said, I feel like you would do a better job of talking about the Learner Daily Check-In Tracker because for me, I'm just like, everyone should look at this because it has all the great things as, as an educator would want. Um, and I know I would definitely utilize it if I were still in the classroom. But Zach, take it away. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what I'm going to put in the show notes for you listeners is a YouTube video of Rob, basically a screencast of Rob explaining this resource. Um it's, you know, something that we wind up talking about a lot on the podcast is the do now and specifically like a social emotional check in do now. Um, this is the one we're going to be linking from now on. Uh, so so the way this works is that it's basically a Google form that the students fill out. And what they put in the Google form is it's multiple choice. It says, what lesson are you working on? And they select the lesson that they're on. It asks, what's your status? And the options are things like I'm working on it. I feel stuck. I need help. I took a mastery check and I'm now revising or I'm ready for the mastery check. That's those are the options. And then the last one is, how are you feeling today? And the options are things like I'm feeling great. I'm not feeling great. I'm having a bad day, but I want you to leave me alone. I'm having a bad day, but I want to check in with you. Things like that. And based on those three responses, it goes into a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet is actually the resource. The spreadsheet does all these I don't know how to describe these things. They're like crazy automations. It's sort of like conditional formatting, but like hyper mega conditional formatting because it has other columns that populate automatically, like check in with this student or this student is ahead of pace. Uh, it just provides all kinds of information based on just those three responses. Um, it's amazing. I, I I strongly encourage any listeners who are interested in trying to come up with sort of a, an opening routine that's based on a Google form do now uh, to check out the video that I'm linking in the show notes. And once the once we have the link to the actual resources themselves, I'll uh, provide that as well. Um, but but wow, like just amazing. There's different tabs so you can filter it by learner. You can filter by how they're feeling. You can filter by what lesson they're on. It's really, really amazing. It's just amazing. 
Yeah. And I'm sure that Zach and I are not doing it any justice. So go ahead and click on that link in the show notes so you can watch this really quick and really mind blowing five minute video that Rob created. So you can kind of see what we're talking about. Um, a challenge that I would put out there too, when it comes to the feelings part, um, looking up the feeling chart and really trying to determine what kind of feelings you can put in the options as well. So, you know, because we're talking about you know, we're trying to teach our students how to articulate our feelings. And so for me, great and okay. Those are very basic. And so I always like to look at the feelings chart just to kind of pick and choose like the the feelings that students can choose from as well. All right. Yeah. So definitely check that out. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and so we have a couple of questions actually. And Zach, are you ready? You have the mental capacity to answer some questions. Yeah, let's do this. Going back to our old Q&A format here. All right. The first question that we have is when you have a sub for multiple days, do you ask the sub to give the students mastery checks when students ask and you as a teacher look over them when you get back? Or do you tell the kids to just keep going and do the mastery checks yourself as a teacher when you get back in the classroom? What what do you do typically when you're gone multiple days? You know, I feel like um, my, my personal answer is that I let the students do the mastery checks and I if I'm not like sick or something, like if I'm just out, I'll actually glance at them from time to time and even update my tracker. I know some teachers would like there would be concerns around academic dishonesty. And I feel like it just depends on every teacher. Mine students can't really cheat on my mastery checks because they're taking screenshots of the work that they did. Like if they did it, they did it. You know, it's in a it's in a program that they are learning how to use. And I can look at the screenshot. I designed the master check so I can look at that screenshot and see if they did the work or not. Um, I guess they could steal somebody else's screenshot, but I've seen like I'll see the other student and I'll see that their projects are identical, you know, and, and I'll just deal with that when I get back and not give them the check on the pacing tracker. If my mastery check were more substantive, like some kind of a, a writing assignment or, a, you know, a math, a set of math problems or something like that, I might think about this differently. But yeah, the way that I do it is is just to let them take the master checks, look at them from time to time or not, and let them go on. And then when I get back, you know, look at everything and make sure that students who need to revise can revise with me and let students who are able to go on, go on. But but again, I, I really I really want to emphasize that that is my my answer, my personal answer, and not like the right way. I feel like there is no right answer for this. It's just, it's going to depend on every teacher and how they treat their mastery checks. Yeah. And I have to agree with you on that too, right? There's so many different scenarios that could happen. So if you're an educator who really likes for students to take their mastery checks while you're around, then don't give those mastery checks when you're not around, right? So can let allow your students to keep going with the lessons, knowing that when you get back, students are going to have to go back to those lessons to take the mastery checks. Those are also okay. That is an okay option. Um, another way too, because I was also the one, I wasn't a gatekeeper when it came to mastery checks. Like students took it whenever they got to it. There was no need for them to ask me or like to move to a certain space or whatever, because I knew that again, my mastery checks were kind of hard to cheat on because some they were always like creating something. So even if I had multiple choice questions, there's always a question that asks, how do you know? Because then they have to explain how they know and how they got that answer right. And so and then, of course, like if they retook the um, the mastery check because they didn't master it the first time, I would also see like, oh, they submitted this three times. So now I'm going to take a mental note 
and have a conversation with the student and say like, hey, what's the struggle here? Um, and what can we do to make sure that you fully understood the content and you can apply that that skill to every task that we have in the classroom, right? And so just continuing having those conversations as well will be really great. Um, when I've been gone for, again, this is like Zach, right? Like, I feel like you and I both have the same philosophy, but I've been gone for multiple days because of a conference, because I went to wherever I wanted to go to for multiple days. And I just allowed my students to take the mastery checks and they knew that I trusted them. And so it's kind of hard. Uh, Students have students, I feel like take it more personally or they are more responsible when they know that you believe in them and that you trust them to make the right decisions. Now, of course, you're going to have students who are going to try to cheat or who do cheat because that's just the world. Um, and so being able to like catch that and have those conversations and just being like, and, and my students also knew that I could just pop in whenever and sit right beside you and then ask you a question. And if you don't know, that's how I know that you didn't really understand the concept. Right. And so, um, it's just kind of like, it's not the element of surprise. Like I tell my students this all the time, like, Hey, I'm going to pop in, I'm going to come sit with you and I'm going to have all these questions for you. And I, I hope that you're able to articulate what you're learning. And if you don't, I'm not, you're not in trouble, right? We're just going to continue having those conversations of how, of how I can better support you and what you can do as a student to make sure that you're learning the concept. Um, and so because another thing too, to keep in mind, Zach, is like when you're gone for multiple days, right? And you are allowing students to take the mastery checks, you're going to have a lot to grade when you get back. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that you can keep in mind too, of like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do mastery checks um, and just allow them to practice the skills. And then when I come back, then we'll do the mastery checks together. And so it really depends. I know like Monty does mastery checks on one day. So like students, for example, would have Monday through Thursday to work on their work. And then they know that on Friday, everyone was taking the mastery check. Um, And that's still a way to like self-pace, right? Um, It's still a way for you to kind of control the situation if that is the type of teaching that you like. There's really again, no one right way to do this. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I was going to mention also that like some teachers I know do that where it's like mastery check day. Uh, some teachers have a mastery check station in their room, like a physical space. So it might not be something you want to like have to put your sub or make yourself deal with, you know, in the sub plan. Um, so there are both, both approaches are fine. I feel like the right answer to this question is that you're not doing wrong by modern classrooms if you do it either way, you know? Yep, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, and I guess maybe the secret answer to this question is design mastery checks that are hard to cheat on because (laughs) the students have to create something. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) That was kind of what I was going for without like saying it, which I should have just articulated it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because it's something that we always talk about, right? Like as cool as it is to have multiple choice questions, because it is really easy to grade. It's really easy to just copy and paste a multiple choice question, right? Because teachers, we have so many things happening. Um, And so for us to sit and create something, it's a little difficult sometimes. And that's okay. And so we, we also want to acknowledge that. Um, so it's okay to have multiple choice questions, some mastery checks, and some of them students are creating. You don't have to do it, you know, you don't have to do a create something mastery check every single every time. time. So. Yeah. And I think that the reason that this question led us into this sort of tangled web of discussion uh, is because 
it's really it comes down to a question about how you how you manage your mastery checks and that's what the answer depends on and like we were both trying to say like neither way is wrong you could have the sub give the students the mastery check or you could have the students wait till you get back it just depends on what your mastery check is and how you treat your mastery checks and if you have your routines down your classroom will function with or without you true definitely true and so that's another thing to keep in mind as well. And so practice those routines, make sure your students know the expectation. So even when you're gone, they know exactly what to do. And I know time and time again, I've heard so many of my subs, because I was gone a lot, um, so many of my subs just being like, I love being in your classroom because it just ran itself. I literally just had to walk around. Like literally my sub plan was just, hey, check in on, check with these three students because they be turned sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I have, I, I hear very similar feedback from subs. We've talked about this in previous episodes and it's a modern classrooms. It comes up a lot in conversations about modern classrooms because it's very easy to sub for a modern classroom, I think. I've done it. I've subbed for other teachers at my school um, and you just project the tracker, check in with the kids who need it and that's that. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we went on a tangent there. We did. Zach, <laughs> let's, um... let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so our next question, uh, we just had our webinar with Explain Everything, which was so exciting for me. It was so much fun talking to Anastasia. And again, there's an on-demand recording for that in our webinar site. So what is your experience with Explain Everything, Zach? Like, do you have a screen recording tool that you like more than others? Um, tell me more. Yeah. Um, I love Explain Everything. I have been using Explain Everything since we did that training back in 2019. I I was I I learned about it from Kareem then in the training and I remember going out to another room in the school where I could sit by myself and record and that's how I made my very first videos. I just I just recorded into Explain Everything. I love Explain Everything. So for listeners who may not be aware of what Explain Everything is, it's it's an iPad or tablet app that you can load your slides into and write on them. But as you write on them, it records a video of what you do. So it doesn't just give the students like a static picture of the writing. It it makes an instructional video of you writing and it records your microphone as well so you can talk. Um, it's kind of like if you were projecting the slides on a whiteboard and delivering a lesson and writing on the whiteboard over the slides with a marker. It's It's great. And I love doing that because it lets you sort of keep your instructional video more lively. Like if you just showed all the text on the slide as a static picture and talked over it, it's just, it's not as engaging. So explain everything. It's great. Uh, lots of cool stuff to do with explain everything. My workflow with explain everything has kind of evolved a little bit. I do now what I do is I don't talk into it. I actually write the stuff and then I export the videos with no sound and I record a voiceover afterwards. I've talked before about how my uh, my video workflow is totally insane and no one should do it like I do. Um, but there is an episode of the podcast that I'll link in the show notes talking about instructional video production. Um, and I describe it there. I don't know what else to say without going on a whole nother tangent because it's, <laughs> I have a lot to say. Um, but just it's a really great app. It's easy to use. You, can, you have a lot of editing power in it. And um, I, I think it's great. Yeah, and we're gonna link in the um, we're gonna link in the show notes to explain everything tutorial as well, so that you all can kind of see how to get started in case you have any questions. Um, I know because you know you and I started, so of course I started out with explain everything. I found it to be so daunting because I knew nothing about editing and making instructional videos, and so 
it was such a huge or steep learning curve for me. And I was getting really frustrated with just how advanced it was. But the videos that I created were amazing. <laughs> so um, I highly recommend if you are someone who loves editing and wants more animations and more like spark in your instructional videos, Explain Everything is really good. And I think Explain Everything also allows for you to go with just basic videos or like really cool, um, mind-blowing videos as well. And so you can kind of see that spectrum depending on your capabilities and the energy and time that you have. And so it's such a cool screen recording tool. And I know um, I said that we have a webinar with Screencastify. Screencastify is another screen recording too that, I, that I'm also a huge fan of. And so if you want to know more about that, definitely join us for our webinar. Yeah, I, I also facilitated a session during Summer Institute on Explain Everything. Like it was it was the session on blended instruction, but I was the one running the breakout room on Explain Everything. So I actually did a lot of research. You can do a lot of amazing things with Explain Everything, and it's super advanced if you get into it. But I also think that it's it's pretty accessible if you don't do all the like embedding videos within videos and all this other kind of stuff. Um, if you just write on the screen and record that, it makes for an engaging instructional video. It's definitely worth checking out if you have a tablet. Yeah, and it doesn't just have to be an Apple product as well. They do work with other types of products, other devices, all devices, honestly. Yeah, the the one thing to know about Explain Everything is that it's it's not a screencasting app. Like it's not screen it's not Screencastify or Screencastomatic or anything like that where you're using your computer and recording a video of you using your computer. It's different. It's like you upload slides into it and then annotate them. Or you can just draw on the canvas itself and and make a video of that, like of your drawings as you drew them in real time. Explain Everything calls it an interactive whiteboard. So it's not exactly a screen recorder, although you can record your screen. Um, you actually can like play YouTube videos within Explain Everything if you have something, but it's a separate app. It's, it's, it's not a screen recorder for your computer the way that Screencastify is. Yeah, and that's, that's super dope as well. Uh, we have some huge fans of Explain Everything, so... Yay, we'll have some uh, resources for you on the show notes as well. Yeah. So this next question, this is an interesting question. It says, I have a student that takes forever to get through a 15-minute video and take notes. Parents made him stay up doing homework for four hours, and that was just two videos slash notes. The notes are taking him a lot of time. He is capable of taking the notes, but he's a student with a 504 plan. Other than giving him the notes and letting him watch the videos, any ideas? I'm really glad that this question was asked, honestly, because I think you all know I'm not a fan of notes. And so and I know people are going to come at me. They're going to fight me about this statement, <laughs> honestly. But I just observing my students, they would take forever to write down notes, even yes. though it was yes. fill in the blank. It was just like my six minute video turned into 35 minutes or even the whole class time because of notes. And so for me, automatically, I saw that as a barrier. They weren't understanding the concept, the content that I was teaching. They were just solely focused on the missing words. And so I shifted that really quickly because I had students with IEPs, with 504s who were English learners. And so there were already a lot of things that students needed and notes was just a barrier. And so I also understand the importance of note taking. I, I know. So like I understand it at the same time. 
if you are, I know that there are some schools with policies where you have to do the Cornell notes or whatever note structure that you have. Please teach students how to take notes. We cannot just assume that students know how to do it. If you see a student who is struggling with taking notes, what I did for my entire class is that I gave them a one pager of the summary of what the video was about. And so if we were talking about figurative language, here's a one pager on that. Here's a definition. Here are some examples. So that students know already that that is a resource that they can turn to whenever they need to. And they're not worried about taking or writing down missing words. Uh, and another thing too with me is that the longer I work in education, the more I know that like multitasking doesn't actually work. And so for my middle schoolers, for them to watch a video and take notes, that was already too much. And so my, I was super intentional with knowing that like, I really want them to listen to my five minute video. That is really the most important thing. And then the notes, they still have the option. They're more than welcome to take notes. It was wasn't like I told my students they couldn't do it. They could do it. And then I provided them different options of how to take notes. So it could be sketch notes. It could be bullet points. It could be, you know, drawings or paragraphs or however they wanted, depending on what they needed at that moment. And so they still had that option, but I always gave them a key takeaway document with all those summaries and the, and the key points of the video that I have. And so Thinking about um, videos and notes, this will just go with for every student, not necessarily just students with 504s or just, you know, students with IEPs, but it's for every single student out there. And so thinking about maybe chunking your videos instead of having a 15 minute videos, creating three different five minute videos and not even different, but just like stopping at minute five <laughs> and then like allowing for students to process what you just what they just watched. Because if you think about it as an adult, I also would not watch 15 minutes of video. <laughs> totally. And I would zone out by minute five, right? And so we really want to think about scaffolding and chunking the video. So you can have a 15 minute video, but just chunk it, right? Like, hey, watch this first five minutes first. And then here's like a document to tell you what all that was about, just so that you can use it as a reference for when you start applying your skills. And so keeping that in mind for every single student and not necessarily just students with IEPs and 504s or students who are learning English. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like I'm the one who has the tendency to be mean to our listeners and pick apart their questions and critique them. I was going to say that I noticed that in the question, a 15 minute video is a long instructional video. That might be a part of the problem. 504 IEP or not, doesn't matter. Adult, child, anyone. That's a long instructional video. I, I think also just separate and, and apart from the question, having mastery checks at those five minute benchmarks helps you to make sure that they actually got what was in the first five minutes, because you might be teaching them one thing in the first five minutes that they need to know for the second and third sections of the video and you can put a mastery check there if you stop them, you know, whereas if they just watch through the video, you have no you have no way of knowing if they learned that content. So that's my little spiel on video length. Yeah, just I don't know if this is the devil's advocate part of me. Right. But like I could say if I wrote this question, right, I would say like 15 minutes is still better than a 30, 40 minute lecture. <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, my approach to this question was not to just critique the video length. What I was going to say is, uh, first of all, I agree 
with your your take on the notes. I do have notes for my students this year because I noticed the exact same thing, which is that these are five minute videos. Why are my students taking like half an hour to watch the videos? No wonder they tell me the videos are boring, you know, like they are taking so long. And so this year I have ramped up the scaffolding a lot, like it, especially for my younger kids more so, but even for my eighth graders, you know, like I, it's just fill in the blanks. Like, and I, and I used to have them copy all the writing I did because I use explain everything I'm writing on the slides. Like I'm writing words, you know, or sentences as opposed to drawing things, which I also do, but I have a lot of slides where I write two or three sentences and now I've given them the, the sentence typed out with like one word removed and they just fill in the one word, you know, so there's a lot more scaffolding in my notes this year. And that has helped all of my students, except for a couple are doing the notes as opposed to last year where all but a couple did not do the notes. They threw the notes away, you know, so big, big change as I ramped up the, the scaffolding, like the, the amount, or I, I reduced the amount of writing by giving students more of the sentences. Um, but, you know, I would also say that I have students, some of whom have IEPs and 504s for whom this is an actual accommodation, but some of whom I just know, like they need this. I plan to sit with them and teach them the lesson one-on-one if I know that it's a complicated lesson, just because I know that they're not going to get it from the video because that's just how they are. Um, We have students like that, you know? And so you don't, you don't want to make them dependent on you. So you want to have some lessons that they do on their own, you know? But if that student is taking hours just to fill out the notes, you know, consider their time and consider your priorities. What you want is for them to learn whatever is in the video quickly and then go off and do their work, you know, do the practice activities, work on the mastery check, work on the essay, work on whatever the case may be, you know. Um, We don't want them watching videos. School is not for watching videos. School is for learning. And so if you need to sit with them and you need to plan to sit with them because you know that that's how the student is, that's okay. Like you have the time. It's a modern classroom. We can do that. You know, I have students with whom I I know this is a hard lesson coming up. I'm going to carve out five minutes to sit with you. And instead of having you watch the five minute video, I'm going to explain it to you, which will be faster. And you can ask me some questions and you'll learn it that way. And that's how we can differentiate for our kids. Right. And I, I, I really love that. Um, and also when it comes to notes, just again, ask yourself, what is the purpose of the notes? And also, if you're going to have your students take notes, students should be referring back to those notes and not just something that they're doing to fill in time or just because you think that that's what they need to be doing, but really use the notes as a resource so that students know that there is a good reason, quote unquote, for them to take notes. Yeah, you know, I've been leveraging the notes packets this year a lot and I'm I'm liking it. I'm doing it more than I used to in my check-ins. Like I will flip through the notes packet to the part of the video or or the part of the lesson, right, that they're working on or that they're struggling with. If they come, if they ask me a question, I'll come over and I'll kneel down or sit down next to them if there's if there's a chair and I'll flip to that part of the packet and if they filled out the notes, I can say, "Look what you wrote here. Look, here it says you need to make your notes last for one eighth of the measure." So let's look at the ruler and see how big one eighth looks, right? And it's like that's I'm referencing something they wrote in the notes. I like that. I really like that. But even if they haven't written it yet, I can point to the picture that's in the note packet and use it as a little visual aid there with me. Um, that's my that's the like the utility of it that I'm finding now. Um, but uh, yeah, like scaffolding it for them has made it so that the notes aren't something that they absolutely hate. So it's becoming more of a thing in my class. I think that that's helping to make it so useful. 
Yeah. And then also, wouldn't it be great if students can just watch the five minute videos and then have retrieval notes after, like write down everything that they remember? I feel like that would be a lot more impactful, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, who that was another tangent, Zach. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have thoughts. I, we have, yeah, we have lots of thoughts, clearly. Um, so we'll move on to the next question. We've been getting a lot of questions about back to school night. So some teachers have eight minute rotations to introduce themselves and their classes, and especially an introduction to modern classroom. And then some, you know, some other teachers have more or less time, right? So how did you introduce MCP to families and caregivers? I love this question. I, I just had back to school night. Hopefully we're not too late with this for some of some of our teachers who are still going to be able to implement these ideas. But um I love this question. Back to school night is really fun. I like meeting students' parents. And the way that I introduce my class is I actually show the parents the exact same slides that I showed the students on the first day of school, which basically introduce me, introduce the six units that the students will do in the year. And then I link to the progress tracker and I show them that. And uh, I actually show the parents because, you know, back to school night is two or three weeks into the year. I show them the actual live progress tracker that their students, they'll see their students' names on it. I feel like that does a really good job in conjunction with my Google Classroom of showing parents like, this is how this class works. They just work through the lessons, lesson one, lesson two, lesson three. But not all students are working on the same thing at the same time. You know, you can see some students are ahead. Some students are are still working on the lesson that was supposed to be done today, right? Just showing them the progress tracker. I've said often that the progress tracker is a very... It's just a very clear and like essential way of looking at what my class is because it, it, it just shows everything that's going to happen. And so I show the parents the progress tracker and explain how it works. I actually, I if parents ask because they've heard about it from other teachers, I'll, I'll say that it's modern classrooms. I don't even mention modern classrooms necessarily. I, I, you know, I have gotten some feedback from parents who were like, I don't like the idea that my child is being sort of experimented on with an innovative model. Um, which is a, a weird thing to say when schools feel so broken to me <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, they're sending their kids into school, you know, and I feel like we all want to be improving. But anyway, uh, I don't mention MCP unless it happens to come up. I just explain how the class works. And people like the idea of a self-paced class. I feel like especially in a music class, it, it makes total sense to be like, you know, you practice until you can do it. That's why we practice. And if you can't do it, you shouldn't be able to move on. You should continue working on it until you really can do it and have done it. Um, and that's how I do it. I present the tracker is basically the answer to the question. And I really like that point, too, of like not even calling it modern classroom, but really focusing on like what this blended learning look like and what the self-paced and mastery based learning looks like as well. And so that's a really good point that our listeners could kind of think about. Um, so then um, I've heard some implementers uh, provide the YouTube video like that describes what is a modern classroom so that parents can kind of understand or caregivers as well can kind of understand what the model looks like. Uh, there's been a couple of implementers as well where the families and caregivers actually do some work, <laughs> you know, like it's a yeah. quick, here's a video, here's you watch it and then you can see your must, you should do, aspire to do. So it's kind of like a mini lesson so that the families and caregivers can get kind of a sense uh, on like exactly what the model is. Because again, you know, you're going to have some pushback and that's okay. Welcome those pushback because if there's no pushback, that means nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Um, so welcome the pushback, have those conversations with caregivers who may be hesitant about it. And then of course, model, model, model. 
Yeah. Oh my God, Tony Rose. Can I tell you that I went to my four-year-old son's back to school night at his preschool and they had his class make a collaborative sculpture with like thick gauge wire. Oh my gosh. Like (laughs) that was back to school night. There was a presentation and then they were like, okay, parents, go to your children's classrooms and you're going to make something out of wire. I was like, how cool. (laughs) How cool. That's so cool. Because then now you're not like being talked at the entire time, you know, because I think sometimes there's a bad rep of back to school night where families and caregivers just get talked at. Yeah. And the teacher was in there with us. So like parents were just talking, talking about whatever and questions would come up. The teacher would answer them or the teacher would be in on the conversations just doing the, the, the sculpture with us. It was very cool. I don't know how viable that is at high school or middle school or even elementary school, like older grades. But so that was awesome. Anyway, let's stop getting off on these tangents and go on to our last question, which is really a question for you, Tony Rose. It says, if I'm presenting at a conference or a PD at my school, where can I get resources and who do I reach out to? And that is definitely not a question that I have the answer to. So please take it away. (laughs) Uh, This is actually beautiful because it is me. You are reaching out to me to be a thought partner for you. If you are presenting at a conference, of course, we would love to be able to support you any way that we can. So if you need someone to help you revise or just be a thought partner, ask you some questions when you're submitting proposals and all of that, just please send them on over to me, really. And I will be able to be that thought partner for you. We do have, uh, we'll share in the show show notes as well, a website for PLC so you can get the... Uh, Google Google Slides, the presentation to kind of get started. So you have the basic information about Modern Classroom, but then also kind of get you started planning with how you want it to, how you want your conference or your session to go. And so I will be your thought partner. We can work on whatever. We can do some practicing. I can provide feedback. We can write things together. Whatever it is that you need, we are here to support you and answer all of your questions because we want you to be the leader at talking about how this has really enhanced your classroom practices, your teaching and learning practices, and really share all of your expertise and experiences. And so we don't want you to have to go, you know, through this by yourself. Again, we are here for you. We'll even, we're we're even able to give you some swag or items to raffle off if you're doing like a huge conference or a PD or whatever. So like, again, just reach out to me. My email address will be in the show notes just so that you all can just kind of email and say like, hey, I'm presenting here? What are your thoughts here? Or um, I really want to go to this conference. Can you kind of, I really want to present at this conference. Can you help me figure out how I can submit a proposal? And so I'm here for you as your thought partner. You are not here alone. I know that some of you have been wanting to present at conferences. So this is your moment to shine. I am here for you as a support. Awesome. So I think that's a show, right? Yeah, that's it. All right, listeners, remember you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode, of which there are many, at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 107. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday, so be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work 
at www.modernclassrooms.org, and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.